Hello, I'm Frank Turner. Welcome to Tales from No Man's Land, a podcast that accompanies my album, No Man's Land. It's about 13 women from history who you probably haven't heard of, but definitely should have. Their stories are fascinating, moving, funny, and most importantly, worth celebrating and sharing. If you're heading down to Camden Town, be sure to raise a toast to the patron saint of the waifs and strains, to Ginny Bingham's ghost. Welcome back to the podcast Tales from No Man's Land. As we've probably established by now, I am a massive history nerd, and I especially have a passion for learning about the history of my adopted hometown, the city of London, where I live. I spend a lot of time wandering around the city trying to learn about it, and in North London I stumbled across the story of the woman that we're going to learn about in this episode, who was called Ginny Bingham. Ginny lived in Camden and Kentish Town in the 17th century. There's not masses about her on the record, but there are a few clues here and there. We know that she was a herbal healer, a brewer, and a landlady of a coaching house. We know that she had a series of lovers who passed away in different ways, the third one of which was found dead in her oven. She was a strong and independent woman, but as she got older, people turned against her. She ended up reviled and accused of witchcraft. When she died, it was said that her body was found with a cauldron still bubbling alongside her. She became a myth, a local legend. Quite a lot of what we know about Ginny Bingham actually comes from the writings of Bram Stoker, who was the author of Dracula, but at other points in his writing career was a local historian in North London. But more recently, the historian Carol Clancy has been researching Ginny's life. And so I went to meet Carol outside one of my favourite Camden pubs, The World's End, which used to be called The Mother Redcap, and it's legendarily on the site of the coaching house that Ginny herself used to run in the 17th century. So that seemed like a good place to start to learn more about the woman that I wrote the song about, the song Ginny Bingham's Ghost. So today I am stood in Camden Town, opposite the tube station at the bottom of Camden Road, outside the World's End pub, and I am joined by Carol Clancy. How are you doing, Carol? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. Thanks for coming down today. And Carol's a local historian who's uh, written a section of a book, uh, The Secret Law of London, and t- tell us about the section of the book that you wrote. Well, it was a history of witchcraft in London um, up to about 1720s when the law changed. Up to that point, it had been illegal to be a witch. After that, it was illegal to pretend to be a witch. Right. Okay. And, uh, Lots of people who could be tried for that today <laughs> yes, in Canada, I think. in But um, I've had um, an interest in London and London's history, and I was always looking in books for the history of the women of London, and it, it just was never there. Sure. And it's only been relatively recently that people have bothered about the history of working-class people, the history of women, the history of black people in London, and there's some really exciting work being done now because they did leave traces behind in official records, in in their lives and in legends and that's where we get the story of um, Ginny Bingham, a working class girl from Kentish Town who had a really interesting one of, life. One of the wise women of London. One of the wise women of London, yeah. And standing outside this pub, which I've spent many years of my life standing outside, there is a sign here telling us about the Old Mother Red Cap, which yeah. I think I'm right in saying this place used to be called. Yes, that's right, yeah. And telling yeah. the story of Ginny Bingham, who, according to the sign, was the daughter of a local bricklayer from Kentish Town, and it goes on to tell the story of her life, and this was the site of the place that she lived. Yeah, she lived in a cottage on this site. She moved here when she was... 15, 16, and she lived here for the whole of her adult life. And, and it was actually uh, right here, it wasn't hereabouts? No, this is the exact spot I love it. where she lived. Well, let's go inside and actually tell the story of Ginny yeah. Bingham. Okay. 
So walking into the world's end, I'm pleased to say it's excellent for a pub to do this. There are history plaques all over the place, which in fact were one of the origins of me learning about this story and wanting to start writing a song about it. The one outside, which tells the story of the Mother Redcap and Ginny in general. There's another one about sort of Camden more generally and about the pub after her death and through the ages. And just as you come inside, there's a plaque with just the dates on. 1631, the Mother Redcap sign appears through the Great Plague, Great Fire. Christopher Wren starts work on St Paul's. That's way after this place started being a pub and it's wonderful to see an institution kind of celebrating that as you walk in and letting people know about the place you're in it's not just a pub you've come to to sink a couple of beers before you go and see a hardcore band downstairs it's a place that's got a huge amount of its own history i find it very grounding and very sort of humbling in this wonderful way to sort of look at this and think about the hundreds of years and generations of people who've made this place their home and their refuge throughout the centuries so, we're now sat down at a table inside the World's End, and first of all, this is probably the most sober I've ever been inside this building, so it's a slightly odd feeling for me. And we're here to talk about Ginny Bingham, so let's actually tell the story of Ginny Bingham. Now, the first question I, I wanted to ask you, and because you know much more about this than I do, is what our historical sources are for someone like Ginny. Right, well, there's a print of Ginny as a witch in old age in the British Museum, and that's dated about 1676, around about that right. time. And it says it was taken a few years after it was produced a few years after she died so that puts her birth round about the start of the 17th century the right. 1600s there doesn't seem to be any real contemporary documentary evidence apart sure. from that from the time but there's a lot of detail in her story there's lots yeah. of first names and surnames and very specific information yeah. so it's, it's, it's oral history almost yes it's it folklore. is yeah. and it got picked up in the late 19th century by some local historians who yeah. included it as a bit local colour so the story is she's born in Kentish Town? Yeah, she came from Kentish Town and her father was a brickmaker. Her mother was Scottish and she was a peddler's daughter. So she right. came from a very working class background. Sure. And then she's married young. Well, if she was married, she was a working class woman and because of that she had some freedoms. Sure. So quite often working class people didn't actually formally get married. Right. They'd form um, a partnership and yeah. the advantage of that was if it didn't work out, you could split up and, and take up on. somebody else yeah, sure. you know so she may not have actually been married to him he's usually described as her lover but right. at 16 she found herself as a single mother because george called her gypsy george gypsy george is such, i mean when i was when i was reading about this and and i had sort of the idea of songwriting in mind when you discover a character called gypsy george you know you you yeah 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 you you know yeah. you're on, on track so gypsy george he's executed he is for sheep stealing in right. holloway in holloway which is mad because I, I've lived most of my adult life in Holloway and I definitely wouldn't want to keep sheep around there now. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she finds herself a single mother at 16, 17. She needs to make a living. Yeah. And this is why I think that she probably become apprentice to a healer and that she um, made a living out of herbal remedies right. and assisting women with childbirth. Right. Which was incredibly dangerous at the time. Sure. Because this is one of the few professions open to women women were barred from doing all sorts of stuff sure. and there was limited ways of making a living she could have made a living out of being a healer and that's how she's described in a lot of the accounts right, okay. and this might have been how the witchcraft thing started because witchcraft was associated with knowing all about poisons yeah. and if you're a herbal healer you have to know about poisons yeah 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 well just generally sort of like chemicals and things you put into people's yeah. bodies to, to yeah. make changes uh -huh. to them hopefully for the better so is she running a, a, a coach house or a drinking establishment by this point 
Well, she could have been because there was a very close association between being a, a herbal healer and being a brewster or a brewer right. okay. as a profession for women that goes all the way back to Anglo-Saxon times right. and earlier, really. So the two tended to go together. It's quite okay. similar ways of extracting herbs and, you know... Cauldron. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she could well have been running um, a kind of beer house here sure. rather than a pub in the modern sense. Right, OK. This being a kind of highway route, it's a place you could stop in as a yeah, traveller yeah. um, mm-hmm. on your way to and from London to grab a grab a beer and if you weren't feeling well, possibly to get a remedy yeah. and that kind of thing <laughs> from Ginny Bingham. Yes. Um, but yeah, right. so she, she, has, she has other romantic associations. Yes, yeah, she does, yeah. Her first relationship is with Gypsy George and he's executed. The second one is a man called Darby who disappeared. And there's no, at the time, there doesn't seem to have been any feeling that she'd done him in. It could well be that people knew that she hadn't because he'd moved to Holloway or right, something. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that stuff about he disappeared is a bit of embroidery that came along later. Right, okay. But the real time she got in trouble was a man called Pitcher, and he was the third man that she took up with. And his body was found in an oven here, burnt right. to a crisp. On, on this very on side. On this very side. Right. And the story goes that somebody attested that, because she was tried for this, is that she right? She was tried yeah. for his murder, yeah. Yeah, but she and was acquitted. acquitted. Yeah, because people said that she, he used to hide from her kind of vicious tongue mm-hmm. um, uh, in her oven, which which sounds a little kind it's, of... It's a bit of a bit of a stretch. story, yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think there was a conspiracy. He died, whether it was an accident or murder or whatever, and they were trying to dispose of the body. They were trying right. to destroy the body by okay. burning it in the oven. Yeah. And she probably had, had accomplices over this. Sure. So somebody's grasped him up to the authorities. The authorities turn up, find the body. A witness comes forward and said, oh, he was always hiding in the oven. Have you heard a more implausible <laughs> story than that? So the local community seemed to have rallied round right, and okay. cut her off. Yeah, so this, yeah, yeah, okay, so at this point, the the locals, she's one of them, they're looking out for her, you know, she's not yet what she later becomes, shall we say, and mm-hmm. we'll get to that. So she's now, she's had three people involved in her life. There's a fourth, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, no, he's very, he's a bit more nebulous, and I, right. I find this a bit surprising, because the first three have got names, mm. but there's no name for the fourth one, and he's supposed to be the wealthy husband, that's where she got her fortune from. And it's supposed to have been a happy relationship as well. When right. he died, there was an inquest. Nothing came up that it was, uh, there was anything dodgy about his death. And I think a lot of this stuff about, oh, she poisoned the fourth husband is embroidery later on, possibly. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe that didn't happen, you know. Sure. But to go back to people running around, Ginny would have been a real resource in the community. Sure because of her healing skills, but also um, women died in childbirth. It was the most dangerous thing that a woman could do was to give birth. But also women had no way of controlling their fertility. It's not talked about very much, and I'd like there to be more research done and to find out more about it. But I think that one of the real functions of these healing women was to provide herbs for abortions and to terminate, because otherwise... People tended to put off marriage till they're about 25. If you had your first child at 16, then by the time you're 26, you could easily have seven kids and you've got another 15 years of fertility. This was so important and it was a relatively safe way to control fertility and restrict the number of children that women had. She would have been... valued. But then that changes later in her life. She becomes a, a much more controversial figure, should we say, yeah. or at least I mean, yeah. there, are, there are stories of her being kind of reviled. What, what do we think changes? 
Well, I, I can remember when I was a kid, I can remember the other children in my street telling me that the old woman down the end of the road was a witch. And this was based on the fact that she had um, caterpillars in her privet hedge that were spinning webs. I think, you know, the worst thing a woman can do is grow old and be sure. ugly. Yeah. And I think that maybe that's what happened, you know. Yeah. Her well, allies I'm, died off. Yeah. She was an old woman. Maybe she had dementia. Yeah. And people just turned against her. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I sort of tried to get into the song, which is speculation on my part, and I'm interested in your opinion on it, is that, like, she reaches this, I think, socially unusual position of being an established and kind of self-reliant woman who's not, you know, she doesn't have a husband by this point. Her last husband, the wealthy one who may which we don't know as much about, has ceased to be. And that's kind of like, it's, it's sort of breaking social convention in a way. She's now, oh, she's, yeah, yeah. She's, a, she's an older, mm-hmm. independent woman. And that this means that certain people within the community are going to start being less friendly towards her, should we say. Yeah, and it's against the backdrop of um, the whole Puritan thing is going sure. on. And some of the strands were very misogynistic. And women were known as the weaker vessel. And that came from right. the Bible. And okay. a woman's duty was to do what her father said, mm-hmm. and then after she married, to do what her husband said. And right. Neither of which Ginny is doing. Ginny is the opposite to yeah. that. And there was a horror of independent women right. at that time. You know, this was one of the worst things that could happen. Women, you know, the monstrous regiments of women, they're going to take yeah. over the world and destroy <laughs> everything. Yeah, and um, so, um, yeah, she's just not conventional yeah, she she's doesn't broken fit. the taboos exactly she's... and I think I'm right in saying by this point she, she is definitely kind of running an alehouse or a coaching house of yeah, some kind and yeah. she's again this is this is the thing I tried to put into the song which possibly strays in speculation but you know that those people who, whether you're talking about high women or the people who mm-hmm. live outside the city who live outside the more kind of traditional social groupings I have this image in my mind of people gathering here in the same way as we were talking about earlier where yeah. you know the, it's, it's an early forerunner of the Camden spirit yeah. of people gathering um, who don't fit else and I, I think Ginny's um, an early forerunner of the Camden girl. I've always right, had yeah. so much respect for women from Camden because they've got, you know, that London women tend to be quite self-reliant, sure. very sussed, but the women from Camden who've grown up in Camden, they tend to have a real streak of self-preservation and they're able to say no to people. And that's what she did. Yeah. That's what she did. She said, no, I'm not putting up with being beaten. I'm not putting up right. with being so, abused. Yeah, so um, she, so yeah. she's here. She's established. She's known, I suppose. I mean, there's a painting painted of her. The name, the old mother red cap. So yeah. is that definitely associated with her? Do we think that... No, that's associated with witches. The right, red cap okay. is associated with witches. And there's pubs all over England and sure. Ireland called the mother red mm-hmm. cap. Yeah. with connotations of a witch. There's another Mother Redcap in the Holloway Road yeah, up yeah. near Archway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was probably capitulating on her we fame. Think, yeah, sure. But she's she's known, she has a reputation. Mm-hmm. There are stories of kind of younger kids kind of taunting her, am I right mm-hmm. in saying? Kind of throwing things at yeah, her and this yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd sit outside and they'd kind of pelt her with mud and stones <laughs> and she'd be sitting there in a, a cape that was supposed to have had bats all over it. And Which, yeah, that's very Camden. Yeah, yeah, that is an extremely... <laughs> she was an early goth as yeah, well. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. She's a proto-goth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A 17th century goth. And she's sitting outside and she has a cat, am I right in saying? She has a cat, yeah. Well, everybody would have had a cat because, right. you know, that's how you keep down the mouse and rat population. Sure. But it's um, a familiar, but that, possibly. Yeah, yeah, there's that feeling that your cat's kind of... your communion with the cat and getting up to no good. Sure, you sort of, you get the impression she can't really win on some levels, do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, she's, she's yeah. an, an older woman who likes to sit outside her place 
place that she runs with her cat that she has for good reasons. And everyone's like, well, she's definitely a witch then. Mm. And it's just kind of like, but I need my cat. <laughs> and I live here, you know, and it's just, she's sort of damned if she does, damned if she doesn't, yeah. really. Yeah. Okay, so, and then eventually uh, her death is uh, dramatised, or at least it's become part of the legend. It's got all the signs have been embroidered, the story sure. of her death, and I think it may have been put together by the people that ran the tavern on the spot afterwards as a draw to get people to right. come there, to come to the witch's house. So she's supposed to have been found, she was missing for a while, and then they entered her house and she'd been dead for a while, rigor mortis had set in, there was a cauldron still bubbling away, they fed some of the potion in the cauldron to the cat, all the cat's hair dropped out and the cat killed over <laughs> and died and they had to break her arms and legs to get her in the coffin it's all right. very kind of yeah I mean you can see parts of that being true I mean the idea of an elderly woman who doesn't have dependents or people looking after mm. her dying and then being yes. found that's a thing yeah. that still happens yeah. tragically enough um, but yeah the, the cauldron part seems a little <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean if the cauldron was still bubbling she might have burned the house down if it had been yeah. a week yeah. or the fire would have gone out yeah. or something uh, but yeah so and, and then uh, so she's yeah she's carried out in the house people say this or the devil Entering our oh, house. The devil, yeah. The night that she died, loads of people around here saw the devil hanging around, right. coming to get her soul and carry it off to hell. And I've, I've definitely seen people hanging around Camden who look yeah. like the devil. Well, but <laughs> it's an easy mistake to make, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but so, um, uh, yeah, and then so it's interesting what you're saying there about the story. So the alehouse, such as it is, it's on the same site. Yeah. So part of the story is about her. It's not necessarily malice towards her, necessarily. It's more kind of telling a good yarn that will get people it to stop is. in. And there's a lot of um, competition. And it's very near to London. So you've been travelling for days. Yeah. And you can see London. As you come over Highgate, you can yeah. see London. So why are you going to stop off here? You're going to be pressing onwards to the city. Sure. Um, so they need something a to... A unique selling point, yeah, as they say. Yeah. yeah, they do. And they've got it in... Absolutely. In, in spades, the... because... Um, They've got, this is the witch's house. You can come to the witch's house. Spend the night in the witch's yeah. house. Yeah, and, and you can see outside, there's an old sign that's celebrating their their famous owl that, you know, and they're saying that if Ginny had drunk this owl herself, she would have lived 120. Right. So, you know, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true great. of what they sell in here now, <laughs> with no disrespect to the world's end. But no, uh, so. I'm not sure it's going to make me live longer. Uh, so, I mean, looking back at the story of Ginny generally, and the, the angle that I try to take with the song, and we mentioned this briefly before we start recording, I mean, um, you were saying to me you were, you were wondering where I was going to go with the yeah. topic. The attraction to the story for me, aside from the fact that it's fascinating and it's related to a place that I know very well from my own life and all the rest of it, is this whole thing of her being a, a person sort of out of maybe not out of time but out of social context and all this kind of thing in a way that really reminds me of what it is that I like about Camden now yeah. you know and the song you know the patron saint of the waste and strays I mean the idea is that I'm setting her up as a kind of as a proto Camdenite as a an early precursor of what this place is going to become I mean do we think that's fair yes I do think that I listened to the lyrics of your song and I thought I think Johnny would have quite liked this yeah um, because <laughs> excellent she yeah she had a lot of spirit and she didn't yeah. put up with shit from people yeah that's the impression um, and, I get, um, yeah. and that's a great Camden uh, today. Right, yeah. It's a and just, Camden tradition, isn't it? I'm not exactly. But, and also just kind of like not judging people by kind of standard yeah. social mm -hmm. markers and just yeah. sort of saying, you know, you're welcome in here if you're, 
if you're all right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, not because you're sort of respectable or anything like that. It's the kind of story that you can project what you want onto it. So in the late 19th century, early 20th century, misogyny is being projected onto Ginny, mm-hmm. really. But now we can project what we want from it. My feelings about Ginny's life are very influenced by my feminist views sure. and my experiences as an independent woman. And you're coming from the, the angle yeah. of the waves and strays and the people who don't fit in elsewhere, which yeah. is something that I... That's my experience of Camden sure. as well. Being a waif and stray, I was a waif and stray, and I yeah. did find somewhere to fit in in Camden. And we're right. We're more right than those people sure. who, who saw her as being a vile creature. Absolutely. And as, and I'm sure that 100 years from now, people might have a different take on it that you and I Which cannot imagine. Um, and this is the nature <laughs> yeah. of, of historiography. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to think that I've done her justice with the song, uh, hopefully. But it's, it's funny, like, I mean, one of the beginnings of the song for me, and when we were standing outside earlier, there were the the I'm pleased to see that the pub now does recognise the history there. Um, I think that's a wonderful thing that they're doing here. And um, I'm medium convinced that one of those plaques used to be over there, downstairs in the corner, because I have a memory of being in here one night and reading it, and that was the beginning of the... But they've put it in a more prominent place, haven't they? And good for them for that. Yeah, that's good. That's great. But it's it's a lovely thing to sort of feel part of a community and part of an area and all that kind of thing. And within that, to sort of feel, you know, I mean, Ginny's here right at the beginning of Camden being a sort of... a notable area, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and as we've talked about, like Camden eventually becomes an inner suburb of London, shall we say. Dickens lived here on Bayham Street. My family lived around Camden quite a lot in the mid 20th century. I've got uncles and aunts who used to live down in Mornington Crescent when it was really not a salubrious place to yeah. live. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask as well. So you were saying that when you first moved to London, this place was still called the Mother Red Cat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And when did yeah. that change? I think it was about. 85. Right, okay. Right about there. Uh, no, 95. Been... No, 95. Yeah, okay. it was 85, 95. It was somewhere around about okay. there. Okay, I mean, that, I, I probably started coming to Camden in about 96. Right. So I just missed you it. You just missed it. Just yeah. missed it. But this has always been the world's end for me. Yeah, the world, yeah. One of the things I find interesting um, is that for a working class woman from the 17th century, we know quite a lot about Ginny's life in a way that's kind of unusual, I think. And it's strange, because I was thinking about it, and there's a big gap in the 17th century between Elizabeth I, who just about gets over the line, and then we don't hear much more about women until the Restoration, and there's Nell Gwynne and... You know, actresses for the first sure. time and all the mistresses of Charles yeah. II. But during that whole period, it's like women were really under the radar. Sure. I just say it's a, it's a wonderful and remarkable thing that we know as much as we do know yeah. about her, you know, and names, as you were saying, sort of names of husbands and, and, uh, and her profession and, and even dates as well. The date outside 1631, which we're not entirely sure where they got that yeah. from. But sometimes things do survive, and there's sure. quite a lot. She, she had quite a lot of contact with the authorities over the yeah. years. And is it a case that those records don't exist, or has nobody ever gone looking for them? Sure. And well, let's really let's get us down to the records of us right now. Let's go. <laughs> so now we have processed downstairs into the underworld venue, which is underneath the world's end. It's a room that I've played a million times. A uh, million dead. My old band hold the attendance record for this room from September 2005, our last London show. Uh, but here we are. It's empty today. Uh, it's cleaner than I think I've ever seen it before. Um, and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play the song Ginny Bingham's Ghost in the bowels of the building in which she lived. You ready? Yes. If you're heading down to Camden Town, be sure to raise a toast to the patron saint of the wastes and strains, to Ginny Bingham's ghost. 
Well, once she was a fresh-faced lass from Kentish Town she came. Her people, they were peddlers, Ginny Bingham was her name. And with her husband, Gypsy George, a candid coach house they did keep. Till they hung him by his neck from Tyburn Tree for stealing sheep. It broke her heart to lose her love when she was just a child. So a man named Darby took the hand of Ginny Meek and mild he was a drinker. Not a thinker, daily brought his wife to tears. Till one Camden winter morning, Darby simply disappeared. If you're heading down to Camden Town, be sure to raise a toast. To the patron saint of the waiting strays, Ginny Bingham's ghost. She earned a reputation on those bitter Camden streets. If you tarry with the Bingham girl, you'd hold your manhood cheap. But even so, the miser pitcher was the third man on her lips. Till one night they checked her oven and found him burnt up to a crisp. They tried him for his murder, thought they'd finally cooked a goose. But even when the fourth man died, Ginny somehow slipped the noose. He was a fugitive from justice, for love she took him in. But he beat her once too often, and the poison did him in. If you're heading down to Camden Town, be sure to raise a toast. To the patron saint of the waste and strays, Ginny Fingers Ghost. The locals didn't like her, false of spot A mob broke down her door and from her chair her body pried. The tavern is still standing, it's now called the Underworld, and it still offers sanctuary for all broken boys and girls. So let's head down to Camden Town, folks, let's raise a toast to the patron saint of the waste and strange teeming and ghost. Cool, good. So thank you to Carol Clancy for that conversation down there in one of my favourite haunts that I know very well, The World's End and The Underworld. Despite being in a place that was very familiar to me, I was learning so much when I was there and perhaps more so than some of the other podcast episodes, I learned more whilst making it than I knew when I was writing the song to the extent that I possibly need to go back and write a third verse for the song. So thanks to Carol. It was a wonderful conversation. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can subscribe and review wherever it is you get your podcasts. And it really does help us get the word out there. So please do click subscribe and leave a review. You can find my song, Ginny Bingham's Ghost, wherever it is you get your music these days. And my album, No Man's Land, is available for pre-order now. On the next episode, we will be talking about a Byzantine Greek nun who famously turned down the advances of the Emperor Theophilus. And her name was Cassiani. I'd like to thank my producer, Hayley Clark, the executive producer, Peggy Sutton, and the additional producers, Paul Smith, Steve Ackerman, Josh Gibbs, and Charlie Kaplow. Tales from No Man's Land is produced by me, Frank Turner, Extra Mile Recordings, and something else. <laughs>